0: All right, well, this morning, we're going to continue with a series of messages that we started, I think, five or six weeks ago now, and we're calling it Jesus And, and I want to revisit with you what we're doing. What we're doing is is we're going out and we're collecting up really significant, really important, life-changing, paradigm-shifting, perspective-altering kinds of topics, and then we're coming to the Bible, which is the mind of Jesus, not just the red-letter parts, but the whole of Scripture is His mind, and we're saying, okay, Lord, what is your mind on this issue? And again, here's why. Not so that we can simply be informed as to what Jesus thinks. You know, like, you know, what Dr. Phil thinks this, Oprah thinks this, Jesus thinks this. That's not who Jesus is. He's not like Oprah or Dr. Phil. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> and here's the deal. We're not his fan. We're not his follower on Twitter. We don't buy his books and watch his show. The sovereign God of the universe, before time began and the foundations of this world were laid, had you on his heart. He chose you before he spun the worlds into motion out of all of humanity and every age of man to be his prize possession. Though he knew as well that you would be broken and filthy and ruined. By your own hand. And so then in a love that is greater than we can imagine, he sent his son as a man into this world to satisfy his own standards, which we have ruined and, well, failed entirely to keep and to shed his blood that we might be clean. And and then he sent his spirit into your heart to raise you from the dead spiritually and to give you the very faith by which you embrace him as your creator, as your redeemer, as your sustainer, as your deliverer, as your father and as your king. A little bit of a difference. So we're coming to the Bible, which is the mind of Jesus, and we're not, I hope at least, coming as someone who's, you know, kind of interested in maybe hearing what Jesus has to say, and I'll take it under advisement, just like I hear all these other voices out there, and I'll take them under advisement, but instead as one who has been captured by the redeeming love of God and whose heart is now itself full and ever more being made full of a love for that God and who stands beneath his word and recognizes I am your child and also the subject of your kingship speak for your servant listens that's the approach We're not coming to the Bible so that we can hear what Jesus says and merely be informed. We're coming to the Bible so that we can hear what Jesus, our Lord and Savior and King says, and then, by the power of His Spirit, as that Word goes to work in our lives, living it out in community, be transformed. So last week... We got together and we looked at the topic of love, Jesus and love, and today we're going to look at the intimately related topic of the family, Jesus and family, and I say that it's intimately related because love is what holds a family together, but let me be real clear about what I mean by that because that sounds just like some cliche I'd throw out. It's not what you think. The love that holds a family together is not primarily the love that each member of the family has for one another. The love that holds a family together is the love that each member of the family has for the Lord God Himself. See, when we come to the Bible, we see a very different picture of the family than many of us assume is there. God is not, you know, out there somewhere standing outside of the little circle of our family kind of hoping to be noticed. Maybe, you know, we'll give an ear to Him. Who knows? Maybe we'll invite him in and then he can swoop in with his wisdom and with his spirit, by the way, which are transformational, and serve us and and transform our family. He does those kinds of things, but that's not where he's at. That's not the paradigm. It's not the picture. Biblically speaking, God stands at the center of our family, dead center in the middle. And he is to be envisioned and treated by us as that. And our family, by the way, exists not to be served by God, but to serve God. And you've got to kind of let that settle in, because, man, that's a, that's a big shift in perspective. Because what that means, bottom line, is that my family and your family does not exist to meet our needs, to satisfy our desires, to fulfill us, or to make us happy. Now, I will tell you that sometimes God, through the vehicle of our family, particularly when our family is rightly arranged around God, who is in the middle, can be a source of grace from the Lord God in which we experience those things. Needs get met. Desires get satisfied. There can be seasons of joy and and of great happiness. So I'm not denying that that can occur within the context of family. What I'm saying is, biblically speaking, it's not the purpose of family. It doesn't exist for me. It doesn't exist for you. It's a great blessing, but primarily it exists for the Lord God Himself. The love that holds a family together, guys, is the love that each individual member of that family has for the Lord God Himself and whom together they then seek to worship and serve and exalt and bring glory. Here's how I want you to visualize this. I want you to visualize it in terms of a bicycle wheel. How many of you have seen a bicycle wheel? Just everybody put your hand up. It's okay. All right. So you're without excuse. You can see it in your mind, right? A bicycle wheel, the wheel, the circle of the wheel. That's your family. The spokes of the wheel. Each individual member. The hub of the wheel. The hub of the wheel is God himself. And what I want you to see is that as you respond in love to the great redeeming love of your God, it is your love for God, it is your passionate pursuit of God, it is the priority that you place on God. It is the desire that the Spirit by His Word in ever-increasing fashion grows in your heart to worship and serve and to exalt God. It is the transformation of your character that God works out in your life as He makes you humble, as He makes you selfless, as He makes you all of these things that none of us are by nature. It's that love for God that unites us to Him as the hub of the wheel, but then not just to Him, but to every other member of the family who has that same pursuit. The love that holds a family together is the love that each member of the family has for the Lord their God, whom they together seek to worship and serve and exalt and bring glory. Still have the image in your head? Bicycle wheel? What happens when you take the hub out? What are you left with? A bunch of disconnected spokes. A purposeless wheel. It's not going anywhere, is it? And how strong is that will? Not very. We pick up our study today in Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4, where Moses gives to us what Jesus will later in the New Testament identify as the single greatest commandment for the follower of Christ, for His chosen people who have been redeemed by His love, who are full of His Spirit, who are subject to His Word. Moses gives to us the single greatest commandment, and then immediately he follows it by a discussion of the family. Hear what he says. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord whose God. I'm going to read it. I want you to say it out loud with me. It's going to be fun. Just do it. Even fake it if you're not joyous about it. Just make it happen, okay? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. Don't rush past that. Whose God is He? Yeah, or just if you want to personalize it, He's my God. He's your God. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, not only do you belong to the God of the universe, He belongs to you. You're connected. Inseparably. Inextricably. That's a wondrous statement, hear, O Israel, hear, O people of God, he's saying, the Lord, our God, and then he tells us something about him, the Lord is one. Now, we don't live like that because what he means here is that there is only one God in all of the universe. By the way, whose God is he? He's ours. There is no other God, he's saying. It's a statement on monotheism. And he's calling us now to live as though there is one and only God. God. What's the commandment? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, my God and your God, the only God in all the universe is one. He's one God, and here's the deal. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your might. And guess what? As you do that, as your husband does that, as your wife does that, as your parents do that, as your children do that... You come together around the hub of the wheel, don't you? You're united not only to God, but you're united to each other. The love that holds a family together is the love that each member of that family has for the Lord their God, whom they seek to worship and serve and exalt, whom they seek to bring glory to. The unifying principle of marriage is the love of God. The unifying principle of family is the love of God. And the unifying, meaning the bringing together purpose of marriage and family, is not the meaning of my needs or yours. It's not the satisfying of my desires or yours. It's not my fulfillment or yours. It's not my personal happiness or yours. Those are wondrous things, and they tend to occur most plentifully when we're all rightly arranged to the Lord our God, when He is the hub of the wheel, but the unifying purpose is the glory of God Himself. He's at the center, not me, not you. Our job is to love Him, which then begs the question of how do we do that? I mean, what does that look like practically speaking? What does that mean? I'm going to give you a one-word answer. It's the answer given by Moses in the whole of this chapter if you've studied it in your personal worship time this week. It's the answer given by Jesus in the New Testament. Loving God, practically speaking, looks like obedience. What does Jesus say? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Why? So that you can have a relationship with him? No. No, 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 we already covered that. You already have a relationship with him. And it's all of him, by the way, thank God, because I would blow it. He's chosen you. He's redeemed you. He's called you. He's filled you with His Spirit. He's given you His Word, which are the ways of life. He's broken you out of bondage to sin, slavery, and death and made you free. And He's given you His law that you might live like a free person. And in such a way as to stand in stark contrast from the rest of this world, different values, different ethics, different love, different worship, Loving God looks like obedience. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I just want to pause for a second, and I want you to imagine what it would look like within the context of your family if everyone in your family, by the power of God, for the glory of God, out of a genuine expression and appreciation and, frankly, delight in God, began to obey His commandments and to experience His personal transformation. Or maybe you should just imagine... What might happen if only you did that? Because you can't control everybody else, can you? Think of how different it would be. Think of the transformation that would occur. I'm going to tell you the first question that we ask now around here when people come to us with marriage and family-related issues. Question number one, how's your spiritual life? How is your connectedness to the hub of the wheel who is the Lord your God? How are you doing in gathering, in plugging in, and in serving? You, are you finding your thing and doing your thing? Have you recognized that life is not about you, but it's about Him, and express that in love and delight in your life? Tell me about your personal worship life. Bible open in your lap. Tell me about your prayer life. We refer many people for counseling, and counseling can be transformational and helpful. I've given out lots of books, and books are good. There are conferences you can go to, and you'll hear testimony after testimony about how great the conferences are, and all of these kinds of things. You can learn how to relate and communicate better with one another. Good stuff. Sex, money, in-laws, they're the big three. Got to deal with them, don't you? But only God can change your heart. And the heart of your husband or wife, of your parents or kids... Only God can take a selfish heart and make it selfless. Only God can take a self-centered person, and by the way, that's me, that's you, by nature, sorry, and make us God-centered. Only God can take a taker and a grabber, a consumer, and make us a giver. Only God can do those things. So I want to ask you this morning, just a little stopping point. Pull over on the side of the road. You ready? As you look at the wheel of your family, where is the Lord? Is He outside the wheel? Kind of hoping to be noticed to get in, maybe? Or is He at the center of the wheel? Is He the hub that you are tied to, that others are tied to? And secondly, how's your personal life, spiritually? Spiritually? How is your personal connectedness to the Lord your God? Because the love that holds a family together, guys, is the love that each member of the family has for the Lord their God. That's what overflows in love for each other. That's ancillary. It's an effect. The love that holds us together is the love that we have for the Lord our God and our common purpose of seeking to worship and serve and exalt and bring Him glory. He's at the center. Our job is to love Him by delightfully, frankly, keeping His commandments. But then it's more than that, because then we're supposed to teach our kids to do exactly the same thing. Listen to what Moses says again. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. He's the one and only God in all the universe. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words, he goes on to say, that I command you today shall be where? On Your heart. Your heart. He doesn't say, and these words that I command you today shall be on your pastor's heart, though I sure hope they are. Shall be on the heart of the teacher, you know, the kid that, I mean, you send your kids in the classroom, I I hope they are too. But he's talking to us as parents, isn't he? And we know that because he's now going to break into a conversation About the kids, he says, guys, my word needs to be on your heart. And, he says, then you shall teach them. You can't give away what you don't possess. You shall teach them my commandments, my word, my gospel, my character, my nature, my glory. You shall teach these things diligently to your children. What it says literally is, you shall impress these things upon your children. You know, in the ancient world, they used to have um, wax seals that they would use. And every individual, or at least the wealthier individuals, would have their own special seal. It was like a cylinder, and they would wear it around their neck like a necklace. You see, it was like their signature And so you would do a letter or whatever, and you would put the wax on and then they would take that seal and literally roll it across the wax. Now, what is it doing? It's leaving an impression. That's what you're to do with your kids. You're to take what is on your heart, because that's where it's supposed to be. And you're to impress it upon your kids. And you're to do it, he now goes on in poetic language to say all the time, and everywhere. He says, and you shall talk of them, meaning of my commandments, of my word, of my gospel, of all of these things that we're talking about. When? Well, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, that is to say, in your private life and in your public life, which implies a consistency between the two, doesn't it? And who are the people who know when it's not consistent? Like, you know, when your public life is a little bit different than the private life, it's the people you live with. They know. There's no faking it at least at some point. He's saying, you shall talk of them, of me, of my commandments, of how to love me and how to follow me and how to grow in a relationship with me and what it means to serve me and putting me at the hub of the wheel in the whole shooting match when you sit in your house in your privacy and when you walk by the way in your public life and when you lie down, when you're inactive, and when you rise up, when you are active. He's saying all of the time, he's grabbing all these different opposites and he's comprehending the whole of our existence. And he's going, get all that? Okay, that's when you're to do it. And then he goes on and describes our lives and homes. He says, And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And I don't think that he's saying that we need to do this literally. Again, these are all poetic images. But what he's describing is a life and a home in which the presence of God, our devotion to God, our love for God, the purpose of serving God, the centrality of God is so pervasive that there is no way that your children or anyone else could possibly miss it. No way. So let's pull over again. Two more questions. What are you impressing on your kids? And I say that because our culture comes to us with a very different wax seal, a very different thing to impress upon them. And before we know it, that's the one we're wearing around our neck. And we just assume that's okay because that's the one everybody else seems to wear too. And we impress materialism upon our kids. We impress all kinds of things upon our kids. Our culture comes to us as parents and says, all right, look, here's the deal. If your kid's not doing well academically, if he's not a good athlete, if you're not involved in music or art or dance, if there isn't so much activity in your life that you're about to go insane, then you're not getting it done as a parent. God's coming to us here and he's going, hey, man, I didn't say anything about academics. I didn't even mention athletics. I said nothing about music or art or dance or fill in the blank. What he's commanding us to do is to impress himself on our kids. And those other things can be highly beneficial. Those other things in and of themselves are not bad. They're, frankly, really pretty good. A lot of amazing lessons learned on sports teams and all of these other things. Not knocking those things unless, and it's a big unless... They impede our ability to impress the Lord God and the things of God upon our kids. And I will tell you plainly, and I will not win one friend saying this. Sometimes, at least, they do. Sometimes they do. Sometimes sports come along, or music comes along, or whatever comes along, fill in the blank, whatever that may be. And we have to make decisions because all of a sudden they conflict with the things of God. So now the things of sports and the things of God are conflicting in this particular moment. And at that intersection, we've got to make a decision, don't we? And believe you me, the decisions that we make will make an impression. It leaves an imprint. I'm not talking about a weekend or two. I'm talking about whole seasons of time. Some activities, it's just like never ending. What are you impressing upon your kids? And the second question is, what are you doing to make the presence of God in your life and home so pervasive that your kids cannot possibly miss it? And I want to give you some ideas. I feel a little bit like I'm, whenever I talk about this, like what we do in our family, I feel like I'm stepping out onto a real thin branch, you know, (laughs) because my kids are still really young. I mean, I've got 18, 13, and 10, and we do not have it all figured out. We are not perfect parents. We do not have a perfect marriage. We do not have perfect children. Those of you who know us really well have recognized that, and I'm good with the rest of you knowing that as well. I mean, like you, we are all of us in progress and in process. And one of the things I've appreciated about this church is that this church has let our kids be kids just like any other kids. That's important. But I want to give you ten ideas. And the first is that you need to love God yourself. Now, that's a little redundant, isn't it? I mean, he's already said that. That's the commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Hey, you know what? All these commandments, he said, they're to be upon your heart. Oh, oh, and then impress them upon your children. It implies that we have an active spiritual life with the Lord our God. But what he's implied, I want to make real clear. Your kids need to see you following Jesus. And by the way, when you blow it, you know the whole public-private life thing? And it's going to happen. And they know you blow it, and you know that they know you blew it. Then confess your sin, not only to the Lord your God, but to your kids too. And let them know that God is a God who forgives those who blow it, because guess what? They're going to blow it. Teach them repentance. That's authentic. That's real. Number two, gather, plug in, and serve. Let your family know that there are things you stand for. Engage in the graces by which God has given us to grow in a relationship with Him. Make that a priority in your life. Imprint that upon them and understand that someday they're going to grow up and imprint that upon your grandkids. And then they're going to grow up and imprint that upon your great-grandkids. And you might not be around to see it at that point, but then they're going to grow up. You get the idea. It's generational. Now, maybe the generations, you know, the cycle breaks, but let the cycle break with you. Number three, do personal worship before your children. That doesn't mean you do it as a show, but it does mean that, you know, they get to see dad with his Bible in his lap. They know that it's happening. They see that with mom. Maybe you have opportunities, because you're supposed to talk about it all the time, to talk about, hey, you know what? I was reading this verse. I just wanted to see what you guys thought about this. I kind of feel like this is what God's saying to me here. You share that with your kids, what God talks to you? Yeah, actually, He does. Through His Word. Number four, do personal worship or devotions with your children. And please understand, you do not need a Ph.D. to do this. You don't need to go to Bible college to do this. It is really not overly challenging to just open your Bible to the book of Proverbs, sitting around the dinner table or breakfast or whenever it happens to work for you, and read one verse and just say, okay, guys, what do you think that means? All right, what what would that look like if you did that today? Or here's how that hits my ears. I'll just be honest. It hits me like this, and this is kind of what it makes me think about. And it's ten minutes. My wife, who is the hero of our house, mark it, she is, for years gets up first in the house. I make the coffee the night before, she brings me the coffee in the morning, it works. It's a great system. So she gets up, brings me the coffee. I get up, we do personal worship. We do it separately. I mean, we may be talking about it, but we do our deal. And our kids know that. They occasionally stumble out of bed early and witness it. But our kids know because it's just the rhythm that they're going to come to the breakfast table and at the breakfast table, mom's going to have, I don't know, a little devotional or maybe she'll have the book of Proverbs open or maybe she's going to talk about something that happened in her personal worship and they're going to have about a 10-minute deal while they're eating breakfast, before they go to school and they're just going to talk about the things of the Lord. It's pervading the home, you see. Does it make them perfect? No, i no. Number five, put Bible verses around your house. And here's the deal. Use like an ugly three-by-five card to do it. It will match none of your decor. That's the point. It will stand out, and everybody will see it. Beth does that too. She writes verses and tapes it on the mirrors, you know, in the bathrooms. And you got to change them out, you know, like, I don't know, like at least once a month because at some point you don't see it anymore, so now you just put it in a different spot, make it a different color card or whatever, different verse. Get the idea? At times, you know, if our child is struggling with something, I don't know, whatever it may be, she'll look up Bible verses. She'll write it on a three-by-five card and stick it either on their mirror or in their lunchbox with a little note. And they're not overly interactive with it, but occasionally she'll get a, wow, that was really good, I like that one. Wow, that's a big deal. Pervasive. These are not difficult things. Start traditions in your home. Start traditions around Christmas. Start traditions around Easter. Advent is coming up. This is your big chance. Start a tradition around your home where, I don't know, you read through the Christmas story together. There are all kinds of traditions that creative people have come up with that are not overly onerous, and you can just go online and find them. But do it. Create spiritual rites of passage for your children. That's number seven. I'll tell you, one of the things that we've done, again, three kids, 18, 13, and 10. So for the two that have turned 13 already, we had a party. And it wasn't a party for their friends. We had a party for their friends. And then we had this party. It was a double party deal. But we made a big deal of it. It was a nice party. It doesn't have to be overly expensive. But what we did, since they're girls, is we invited godly women it's part of the benefit, by the way, of being involved in a community of people who take a vow to help you raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord when you baptize them into this community. We invited these godly women who they know, who have made investments in their lives to come, and we put our daughter, or daughters in a chair, center of attention. They love that. Just kidding. But it's okay. We're rolling a seal, guys. We're making an impression, and lady after lady brought her recipe for life, practical recipes for life, you know, godly recipes, but they spoke the Word of the Lord into the heart of our kids, and then we take them and we put them in a little recipe book and memorialize it and talk about it later and reread it at certain times of life, and you get the idea? Markers. Number eight, plan purposeful trips with your children. Life is going fast and you are busy. If you don't put it on the calendar, it doesn't happen. Put it on the calendar. One of the things I did this past summer in the middle of our vacation up in North Carolina is, um, and this is kind of unique, not everybody can do this, I understand that, but Morgan and I got on a plane in Atlanta and we flew to Fresno, California, and we went on this thing called Adventures in Fatherhood with Focus on the Family. And it's a deal where they gathered up eh, 25 to 30 dads and kids, dads and their sons, dads and their daughters. They broke you up into groups of five. So with us, it was five dads and five daughters all within a year of each other in age, the girls. And with your sons, it's the same kind of deal. And then you go, you drive from Fresno up to this adventure company called Summit Adventure, where you then pack a backpack full of 65 pounds of what it is you're going to need for the next four days and three nights. It's camping, which is ironic. I mean, if you've been here, you know that for 11 straight years now, I've made fun of campers. I do it affectionately. I've never understood voluntary homelessness. It makes no sense to me at all. (laughs) But it's a purposeful spiritual journey. Purposeful. And it's kind of like boot camp, too. It's sort of like Hell Week if you were ever in a fraternity because you are just stripped bare of absolutely everything that you're used to, including a bathroom. Okay? I mean... And it's one of these deals where, you know, you hike up with your 65-pound backpack, you're at 8,500 feet when they stop in southern Yosemite and start climbing. So when you're a Floridian with that on your back, man, wow, like that was strenuous. So anyway, we finally, we get to our campsite. Every pod of group has their own campsites, and we don't really interact that much with the other folks. And we spent four days doing things like rock climbing, all right? and hiking and jumping into this water that makes your heart stop because it's so cold. But it's beautiful, and you're happy to do it because you've not had a shower. (laughs) We drank out of a stream. I'm not kidding. Like, I had to put drops in the deal. and And the first conversation you have when you get to your base camp is, okay, here's how the whole bathroom situation works. So after that, you're fast friends with these people. I mean, all pretense is gone at that point. So you get to know each other well. But after everything that you do... They would sit you down in a small group, and they'd say, all right, what can you learn from this experience about your relationship to God? How can you learn something about your relationship as a father-daughter or a father-son from this? What can you take back, in our case, to Fort Lauderdale as a result? One of the things we did, no kidding, is we climbed up this big thing, and did I say I was afraid of heights? Well, I am. Um, And so is my daughter, as it turns out. So we went last in our group, just in case we chickened out and had to go back, because everybody's tethered to these lines, so you can't, like, you know, once you get up there, if people are behind you, sorry, you got to move on. So we went last, just in case, but we didn't chicken out. We were very scared, however. And so anyway, we got to the top of this thing, and and the guy who owns the adventure company, (laughs) who had seen me rock climbing the previous day, so he kind of knew this wasn't my deal, um, he said to me, he goes, Tom, how are you feeling right now? And I said, I said, well... I said, I am using everything within me to talk myself out of a panic attack right now. That's how I feel. I said, seriously, man. I said, I'm, I'm tethered to this line. I realize I can't fall off the top of this thing, but I, everything in me wants to flip over on my belly, dig in with my fingers, toes, and teeth. I, I got to get off this rock. He's like, you're going first. I said, that's marvelous. Can't wait to go. We went off a 300-foot sheer drop cliff, repelling. Only about 10 feet, your feet were actually against the wall. Then you were just blowing in the wind going. <laughs> and I, I'm like reciting the 23rd Psalm the morning on the way down. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The Lord is my shepherd. They could hear me from the base. <laughs> I shall not want. The end of that day, we sat around the campfire that night, and every one of the dads read to their children a blessing that we had been writing throughout the course of those days, and wept. And I remember saying to Morgan, you know, I will remember this day for the rest of my life. I don't ever want to go off that cliff again. (laughs) But it's unforgettable. Create purposeful trips for your kids. I'm out there with Morgan Beth, took Haley, went to Atlanta for a couple of days, And she did a Passport to Purity weekend, Family Life Today program. It is phenomenal. She's 13. Talking about God's design and wisdom for sex and sexuality, I'm sorry, but I think that's one of the single most important topics because it is the place where so many of us, maybe even all of us, have blown it big time and carry a lot of regret as a result. Plan purposeful trips with your kids. Spend purposeful time with your kids. When our girls turn 10, and I'll do the same with our boy, I created a marriage folder. So I got a little folder. It's got a little yellow sticky. Morgan's marriage folder, Haley's marriage folder. It's in my filing cabinet. Once a year, I pull it out. We go to dinner. It's not the only time we go to dinner, but it is the only time that we go to dinner around this. And from 10 years old on, once a year, it happens in the summer. We sit down, and here's the question that I ask. I ask them, please describe for me the person that you believe God is calling or putting together and creating for you someday to marry and creating you for. Not everyone is called to marriage, and it may be that they aren't. But if they are, I want them thinking about it now, early, I want them to know what the deal-makers and the deal-breakers are up front and let that be the filter through which their whole dating life then flows because that's going to catch a lot of stuff. Do something like that. It's Bob Barnes' idea. I mean, all these ideas are somebody else's. Take them. Lastly, pray with and for your children. And I know that that's awkward for some of you. Like you've never prayed out loud. I get that. I understand that. Uh, I want to say this as nicely and kindly as I can. Get over it. Seriously, your kids need you to get over it. They're not sitting around with a little piece of paper and a pen and going, "I'm going to give Dad a D plus on that one. That was awful." They're not grading your prayers. God's not up in heaven going, oh my goodness, you got to hear this. Come here, this is awful. So bad. Who does that? Doesn't happen. Good grief, he sent his son to die for you. He chose you. He's filled you with his spirit. He's given you his word. He longs to hear your voice and for you to hear his. Don't deny yourself and don't deny your kids because you're too proud or whatever to do that. Lead your children into a growing relationship with the Lord. Pray with them and pray for them. Even if it's 10 seconds long and you feel stupid, you'll get better at it. And they'll learn too. Because here's the deal, guys, the love that holds a family together is the love that each member of that family has for the Lord their God, whom they together purpose to worship and serve and exalt and bring glory. The unifying principle of marriage is the love of God, and its unifying purpose is not our needs, desires, wants, fulfillment, or happiness. Those come when we get it right but they're a byproduct. The purpose is the glory of God Himself. It is the exalting of Christ in all things, and our job is to love Him and keep His commandments and to teach our kids to do it as well. So here we go. Where is God right now relative to your family? Outside, inside, in the center? How is your spiritual life? What are you impressing upon your children? And what are you doing... To make the presence of God known, pervasive in your life and in your home. Think about those things, okay? Let's pray.